Democrats in flyover country. What comes next? It's October 18th, 2017. I'm Dave Helling of the Stars Editorial Board, and you are on Deep Background. Joining us today to talk about that topic is Melinda Hennenberger, my colleague on the editorial board. Hello, hello. Hello, great to have you here. We're going to talk about your trip to Des Moines and your discussions with Democrats about what's going on in the middle part of the country and their party. First, though, Howard Dean, who was the former chairman of the DNC and um, governor of Vermont, was in Kansas City this week and came to the star and talked to us. And we want to hear a little bit about what he had to say on this topic, and then we'll come back on the other side. If you vote economics, you're going to vote for a Democrat. If you vote your cultural issues, you're not, if you're in the white working class. White working class people uh, have had really had trouble keeping their jobs because of robotics and automation, which is unbelievable. Uh, River Rouge, this enormous automobile plant outside Detroit, making the same number of cars they did 20 years ago, which is a lot, with one-third of the workforce. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, those are two-thirds of their jobs are gone. And the ones that do have jobs or have associate's degrees in computer science, a lot of them. So, the, I mean, the workforce has changed dramatically. We haven't kept up with that. Uh, and that, I think you blame both parties for that. Again, back now with Melinda Hindenberger of the Stars Editorial Board, where uh, you, you went up to Des Moines, Melinda, uh, and spent a day listening to very prominent Democrats talk about this apparent problem of an inability to compete across the board, really, in states like Kansas and Missouri. What did you right. hear, and what was? were there any conclusions reached, or what, what was the gist of the conversation? There was a lot of anguish about losing rural America, and if you look at a map, there's no doubt that that is happening, that the Democratic Party has lost rural America. And so you had Tom Vilsack, former governor of Iowa, former ag secretary under Obama, saying, you know, folks, we forgot how to talk to people, and we, we don't show up in red America, in rural America anymore. And then we wonder why, uh, why we're not competing in places we don't go. And when we do go, it's often talking down to people. So there was a lot of, as I say, anguish about the, the way Democrats come across to people as condescending. There was also a lot of, um, some of the most interesting stuff was from a Democratic pollster who said, for many, many years, for decades, when he would say, who do Democrats stand for in focus groups? What he always heard back was the middle class, working families. And now what he hears back are those who kneel, refugees, immigrants, gay people. Um, and there, there's just not that sense that they're working for uh, working families. Right. And one of the things we talked with Governor Dean about is this idea that one of the problems for Democrats is is cultural. It's not really based on policy so much, although that's clearly part of it, but it involves things like guns and, and gay rights and abortion and other Especially issues. Especially abortion rights. Right. I mean, someone who was there was uh, Heath Mello, the Democrat who ran, was running for uh, mayor of Omaha, and as he says, you know, there I am walking down the street answering questions about zoning. And the next thing I know, I'm publicly assassinated by my own party over the abortion issue, which doesn't come up a lot in 
in mayoral politics right. or when you're actually elected but to people, that office. But people use that, don't they, as a cultural signifier. If they, if they know your position on abortion, it says, rightly or wrongly, it says to voters, you are up for these other things, and maybe you're for standing during the national anthem. And you're- That's part of it, but I also think it's an issue in itself in very... In red America, you're not going to get a crossover vote because of that issue. And the Democratic Party has to decide, and I guess they have decided, whether they're going to allow some diversity on that issue when the alternative over and over, as the party has seen, is losing to a much more conservative Republican with which their right. people have nothing in common. I, uh, with we, him. we did talk to Howard Dean about on this very subject, and he was he, he argued against what you're suggesting. He said, "Look, we're pro-choice, and we you can't compromise on that. We need to stay in that um, in that uh, lane." But did you get a sense the Democrats in Des Moines understood that they have to be more open th- oh, that way? Or yes. was there much pushback saying, no, if no. we do that, we're going to lose? No, not at all. This was... We had Kathleen Sebelius was there. Oh, and so right. It- but this was... It was sort of like a therapy session in many ways. I mean, really, people were pretty upset and also saying, you know, this is so refreshing to be around other Democrats who get it. It was the feeling, it wasn't over that issue, but it's the feeling of, you know, the, the Democratic Party as defined on the coasts is not the same as the Democratic Party in the Midwest. So please don't impose those positions on us or we will lose. And we know that because we have lost over and over and over. So let's not keep trying the same thing. Let's be open. And there was a lot of talk about diversity in the Big Ten. Right. Uh, how, How would you compare that approach to, say, the Republican approach, which you know, is arguably uh, also an attempt to to build a big tent, but has led to these just brutal divisions within the party over various issues, not just abortion, but trade and other things. I mean, you, you get the sense that if you try to be all things to all people, that way lies madness as well, doesn't it? For, e- for either party. I mean, I think I that's... I think, though, don't you, Dave, that a lot of the war in the Republican Party is over whether the Republican Party should continue to exist. It's Trump v. GOP. It's do we blow the whole thing up? Do we want to be the party we have been? Or do we, you know, do we want to start over, basically? Right. So I, I, it's difficult to separate this moment for them yeah, my, from my, Trump. My, my, my argument would be different, Melinda. What I think is happening is that we're seeing a pretty dramatic realignment of the parties in some ways, in part because of the dissolution of institutions and, you know, not just the press, but but parties themselves and the way people approach government. And certainly younger voters tend to be a bit more libertarian and a little more distrustful of institutions. And so the parties are realigning, which is always going to look ugly, because in essence, the Republicans who have been free trade forever are now getting rid of NAFTA. Um, and, and, and as an example, and they're becoming the party of the middle class, quote unquote, or the blue collar worker. I mean, that was the whole Trump appeal. Except in po- in terms of policy. I don't think we can right, argue. Right, but that. in approach. In, in, oh, no question. In terms of policy. But in terms of cultural signifiers, yes. yes. Which, which increasingly, I would argue, is how we elect people. 
Yes. It's almost all it's about identity. that. Yes. When we say and let, tribal let's, and all those other let's reject identity politics, that means one thing. Identity politics might mean bathrooms on the left, or at least that's what this pollster was saying he hears in focus groups. But on the right, it means relating to me as a gun owner and right. someone who is not for choice. But how do the parties, let's broaden it out a little bit, and again, Democrats first because you were up there, but how do the Democrats and Republicans get out of that trap? I mean, because in essence, what they become is an effort to sort of gather all the smaller tribes into one big tribe, right? We'll get the we'll get the gay vote and we'll get the well, millennial vote and we'll get the African-American vote. And that way we'll ag- cobble together a, a again, majority. Again, what they were saying Which was, is why it fails in Kansas and Missouri let because us they're be just us, not yeah. right? Like, let a Midwestern Democrat be who they really are. It's not a question of trying to be all things to all people. It's trying to acknowledge that an authentic Democrat in this part of the country is right. not the same as in L.A. or New York. Right. So, but how does that apply in Kansas, for example? I mean, if you know, the Democrats in Kansas have been woefully absent from almost every discussion because well, the, the someone, few Democrats who do, you know, and I know, I know you've talked with Josh, and maybe he's the you answer mean to Josh Schwadi? Yeah, the, I'm sorry, Josh Schwadi. Yes, um, uh, maybe he's the who answer was there to this puzzle in, in Iowa. I mean, it, are I Democrats like I, that? I the wouldn't. Answer? I wouldn't say he's the answer, but I would definitely say that being open to someone like him, I think he has a real argument to be made that people understand who he is, right? They, it's not just about that issue. It's he's a farmer. He's from there. He's one of the, you know, he comes from a very red part of a very red state. Right. And, you know, for... For a Democrat to win, he's going to have to win over Republican voters, obviously. And that is not going to happen to someone who can pass every litmus test on the left, I don't think. Right, right. How do you maintain any sort of authenticity in that kind of environment if you're someone like Claire McCaskill? We talked in the Ed Board today about her move to the center, which is as predictable as the rain. And she would argue strongly that. It, that's the only way to win. You 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 can't, you know. You, she's very careful on guns. She's very careful to do rural things, and, and she would argue, look, if you come out as, and Jason Kander, who ran against Roy Blunt, put a gun together in an ad. I mean, all those cultural signifiers uh, are important for Democrats, but can lead to suggestions of inauthenticity. How do you? I think it only works if it's real. Like Josh Swati has a lifetime of experience to say this is real, and this is not an endorsement. Right. <laughs> but we're some uh, distance but, from that, yeah. But I I think that actually, if Donald Trump proves nothing else, it's that people don't need to agree with every single thing their candidate says. With him, that would change on an hourly basis. But they need to believe. So when they say he tells the truth, they mean he comes across as real to them. He comes across as authentic. And I think that almost cannot be overestimated. That's a cultural signifier, too, if people think that you're being real about what you're saying. Yes. I think that you can overcome a lot as long as you come across as uh, real to voters. And I I guess we could argue about whether that 
sincerity can be faked. Right, right, but, right, right. That's but, a discussion for another day. <laughs> but I am fascinated by the idea, and then we'll we'll hear a little bit more from Governor Dean. And then, by the way, Brian Lowry, the Star's political reporter, will chat with him a little bit on this issue, too, after we hear from the governor. But I'm interested in the idea that the Republican Party, in essence, has confronted this new reality, whatever it is, with some sense of the need for ideological purity. I mean, they almost want to purge people who are not... Yeah, 100% in line with their views of the world. And I think Jeff Flake and John McCain and some of the more centrist, I'm amazed I'm calling John McCain a centrist, but the more centrist Republicans are, you know, you, you can hear voices saying, drum them out of the party, get them well, out. We, and Steve the Democrats. Bannon wants yeah. to drum everyone out right. of the Senate with yeah. the exception of Ted Cruz. Yeah, but uh, isn't it so, right? But isn't it <laughs> funny that the Republicans think the uh, answer is to be more ideologically pure and, and culturally pure. And the Democrats say, no, what we need to do is be more big tent and more more uh, willing to allow some play in the joints. If well, you, you hear some Democrats saying that. I think it was a real departure to hear a whole group of them saying that in, yeah. in uh, Des Moines. I think that because you, know, you will hear the long, other. Go out to California. Course, we need to be more of liberal. Course, we need to be of course. single And payer. by the way, this group, which is called New Democracy, it's a new think tank, and it was started by Will Marshall, who was one of the co-founders of Democratic Leadership Council that launched Bill Clinton's career. That was centrist. This is not dedicated to centrism. In fact, there were people there who were still lamenting that Bernie Sanders Bernie right. Sanders wasn't the nominee last year. So it's not about being in the center. It's just about having the freedom to be more authentic. Right. And to listen to voices yes. on, on a cultural basis that Democrats on the coasts are not pr- prone to do. When Governor Dean was here, uh, I think Colleen Nelson asked him, okay, give us four potential presidential candidates for 2020. And he mentioned, I think, Chris Murphy, Kristen Gillibrand, uh, Kamala Harris, and then the, uh, Garcetti, I think, the mayor of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I said, Governor, you just mentioned somebody from New York, Connecticut, ah. and two from California. Right. Can you see why Democrats in Kansas and Missouri and Iowa and Arkansas and Nebraska w- w- take, a, take a dim view of that? I mean, it's almost as if you write off the central part of the country. As right. uh, as unrecoverable. Well, that's the worry is for Democrats is that the Midwest is becoming what the South has been for a long time, just a big block of red. Right. And and how do you stop that? Well, uh, again, does it go back to just the, cultural things, or do you so, need to do better recruitment? So or? Tom Vilsack was saying, you know, a lot of you know, my mom struggled with addiction for a long time, and so she talked a lot about the twelve steps. And I have a, again, it was very therapeutic kind yeah. of talk. I have a twelve-step program for us. I'm not sure there were actually twelve, but he was <laughs> saying, you know, we have to show up, we have to listen, we have to, we have to be from there, we have to be, um, you know, be authentic, be. Uh, willing to be more flexible than has been the case. And one of the most interesting things that, that I thought the, the pollster had to say was, you know, we tend to, in the Democrat Party, to want to label anyone who doesn't agree with us on immigration as racist. And these, you know, he said in focus groups, you get to know who people, you know, really what they're like, and these are good folks, and we're making a huge mistake by his words, we're treating these people like idiots. 
Right. Linda Hindenburger, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Let's listen a little bit more now to Howard Dean as he talked with Colleen Nelson uh, and me on the uh, Facebook Live uh, held by the editorial board earlier in the week talking about the issue of how Democrats can be more competitive in Midwestern states. And then after we hear from that, we'll talk with Brian Lowry about this issue. Donald Trump was elected, as I said before, in part, I think mostly, because there have been a whole lot of people left behind by globalization and the enormous cultural changes in this country in the last 40 years. I mean, when I was a kid, um, you know, the civil rights movement was just getting under the way, un, out of, underway. There were a lot of states where black people weren't allowed to vote um, and gay people weren't even talked about publicly. Now, if two men fall in love with each other, they can get married and we've had an African-American president. I mean, that's a lot of change. Yes. And if you come from a small rural place that's fairly um, uh, cohesive in terms of race and all these kinds of issues, your world has been turned upside down, not to mention the fact that the economy has changed so fast that it's almost impossible to have the skills to keep up with it. For, even for somebody like me, if I didn't have the ability to hire people who are 25, I couldn't do anything on the internet. Um, but if, you're, if your livelihood depends on that, it's really a struggle. And that's what's turned upside down uh, and made people so uncomfortable, I think, is the pace of change, especially in rural America. Yeah, but don't they also, isn't part of that also, Governor, that people in rural America particularly feel like they're talked down to a little bit. I mean, that oh, last week some Democrats gathered up in Iowa to talk about that issue, that somehow, again, it's this cultural thing that somehow the elites are lecturing to, to people in rural areas uh, about how they should approach problems, and they resent it, and they're angry about it. That's part of that dynamic, too, isn't uh, it? No, I don't think so. I mean, there are always people who talk down to other people. I don't think party has anything to do with it. I think... Right, but if you go out to Sedalia, Missouri, or Salina, uh, Kansas, and say, well, what, what is your problem with Washington? They'll often argue they don't understand people like me. They don't understand rural Missouri. They don't understand the challenges of agriculture, or whatever it is. And, and that's, that isn't deficits, that's not tax policy, that's just a more, again, a more cultural thing that they're not listening to people <coughs> like me, and that's a problem, isn't it? Uh, well, that's a, a Washington problem. Washington is essentially middle school on steroids. <laughs> I mean, it is, they have their own little culture, they're very smart, they work very hard, uh, and they are completely out of touch with what's going on in the rest of the country. Their cultural, I, in, in, this has nothing to do with party politics, it's a different life. It is like middle school. I call it middle school on steroids on purpose because when you're in middle school, you get. Colleen just came from Washington, yes. so you got to be. Yes, you, I, I get, so you know exactly what I'm telling you. Yeah, so <laughs> it's all your own culture, and you don't see outside it, and it's all about what's going on next to you, and who did that, and, and what? what? Paper and yeah, stuff. and who got on television, right. and who yes. didn't? I mean, this is a world completely uh, divorced from every other place everywhere. Right. Okay, we're back now with Brian Lowry, the chief political reporter for the Kansas City Star, to continue on this topic of Dems and flyover country uh, and what challenges they face, both in Kansas and Missouri. And one of the things we've been talking, Brian, with Melinda about and with Governor Dean is the idea that the Democrats' problem in states like Missouri and Kansas seems to be largely cultural. It's much more about cultural signifiers than it is, you know, 
positions on healthcare or war with Korea or any other specific issue. It's much more a cultural thing. You think that's right? And and a and what impact has that had on the politics in both states? Well, I think in the Kansas governor's race, you're going to get a really good chance to uh, test that theory because when you look at. Uh, when you look at the state of play in Kansas, uh, Democrats went from during the Sebelius years. We had they had the gov- they had the governorship, they had the attorney general's office. They were you know they had a couple of congressional house seats, seats, couple of house seats. So now they don't have a single congressional seat. They don't have a single statewide office. Uh, coming af- out of the you know, okay, v- let me stop you there real quick. Why why is that? What happened? Well, I mean, you got to diagnose the problem really before you. Can... Right. Well, there was the brownback. There was the brownback wave in 2010. Uh, but then, even, even when brown when and when people forget when brownback first came into office, he was hugely popular, and that also coincided yes. with the Tea Party wave nationally. But when brownback was at the top of the ticket that first time, I think he lifted a lot of uh, Republican votes. Uh, 2014, he he struggled. It was a real nail-biter, but there was a lot of national money that had come in to right. help save Pat Roberts and save the U.S. Senate for Republicans. I, I would almost argue um, that it goes back a little bit farther than that in Kansas to uh, when S- Kathleen Sebelius left. I mean, mm-hmm. she had, there was some sense was that the Democrats bet, were right? Senate right, right and then had, after that, uh, Mark had, Parkinson well, steps in, and you've got, and the Democrats you, you literally had, have no Paul Morrison went down in scandal, Parkinson chose not to run. Right. right. Uh, you know, to Dennis the point Moore where you had, you had to, to go run. to a state senator, Tom Holland, to be the one right, who, right. to sacrificial lamb against Brownback the first right. time. But so coming into 2018, the Democrats see a real opportunity in Kansas. They see an opportunity to win some of these House seats, uh, U.S. House seats I'm talking about. Uh, and they see an opportunity to win the governorship because Brownback is uh, hugely unpopular. Uh, and, you know, you, know you, you started to see the backlash against him. Um, in the 2016 election, but I don't know that there is a there's not certainly not a unified approach to how do you do that. You know, right, that's what we've and been talking about. If you look is. at uh, some of the candidates, Josh Swati, who some people are very excited about, particularly uh, Democrats from more rural areas of the state, he is one of those guys who you know he had an anti-abortion voting record when he was a member of the legislature. He kind of. <laughs> Hedges a bit on whether or right, not right. he would consider himself pro or anti-abortion uh, rights uh, these days, but and that's going to hurt him in the primary. But uh, certainly on uh, some of those social cultural issues, uh, Josh would come off a bit more like a moderate Republican, and where he's a Democrat is more on the fiscal issues. Right, and that's the uh, dilemma for Democrats, isn't it? Whether we go not just in Kansas but in all right. of flyover country. Whether you look for candidates who can speak to a more moderate Republican, uh, culturally moderate uh, voter, or whether you need to sort of stick to your guns, to, right. to, to coin a phrase, you know, and find someone who's classically Democrat, uh, classically liberal. And speaking of sticking to guns, you got Jim Ward in the right, race, who's right. the current House Minority Leader, who is not afraid to throw a punch, uh, speaking metaphorically. Right. Uh, uh, one and of the would be hu- recognizable yeah. in New York or California yeah, one of the or har- any other Yeah, state. one of the harshest critics of Governor Brownback, of, of Kobach, uh, you know, very progressive on social issues. Also really 
outspoken on those fiscal issues in a way in which someone like Swati isn't necessarily. Right. Really, one of was has been the leading proponent for Medicaid expansion in the Kansas legislature. Uh, very outspoken on school finance. The Jim Ward is a you know I am a Democrat and I am proud. Right. Uh, whereas Josh Swati is a I'm a Kansas Democrat. Right, and I would uh, argue that that's the riddle that the Democrats in flyover country, Brian, have never really cracked. Do we go, you know, do we go with the National Party? Are we in line with California Democrats? A, do we defend Nancy Pelosi? It's kind I of mean, a, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because right. if you don't give something to charge up your base, and this is, I think, something that Paul Davis saw it in 2014. If you don't really give a message to charge up your base, you may you might win over some of those Repub- moderate Republicans and independents, but do enough Democrats go out to the polls to uh, to right. get you over the line? But if you give a message to charge up your base, do you end up turning off some of those swing voters? <laughs> over in Missouri, that, I was just turning McCaskill wondered, right. is very aware of this. Right. And you know, it's a different situation uh, in Missouri compared to Kansas. Kansas, the Democrats are on offense. They want to see if they can make some gains. In Missouri, they are going to be on defense. They are going to try to uh, protect um, McCaskill as their, their U.S. Senate seat. They're the premier Democrat in Missouri. And then Galloway, who was appointed to her position as state auditor, is going to try to hold on to that office. So right. They're going to really be playing defense. And if you go to McCaskill's town halls, she is acutely aware of this cultural issue that you're talking about. The appeals to Trump voters are very overt. I was at a town hall in Warrensburg not too long ago. Sat next to some big Dave Helling fans, by the way. I think I sat down and the people were like, Both of oh, them. do you know Dave Helling? I was like, yes, yes, I know Dave. Um, and uh, a woman who uh, described herself as conservative uh, asked one of the questions and complained that... Um, complain that you know she's being made to feel like she's racist just because she's white and conservative right. and you know this is we got into the kind of the confederate uh statue issue and uh you know there were certainly some from some more uh progressive people in uh the audience uh you know suggestion as you, know, you would criticism. expect in warrensburg yeah. which is a college town yeah, and some some some, some criticism of the woman but mccaskill made made sure to assure the woman nobody here thinks you're a racist even though there were people calling out who suggested they were nobody thinks you know this is something that each community has to decide for themselves she's not taking a hard line approach on that and so i think you know claire mccaskill is going into this election wanting to win college towns wanting to win places like kansas city and st louis but she also knows that she needs to pick up some voters in places where they're flying yeah, and at least be, and, and, and yeah. be competitive. Yeah. You don't have to win necessarily, but you have to do 40, 45 percent. Right. And of so the she, I mean, she's talked, she's talked again and again about having sympathy for Trump voters and saying that, you know, people who voted for Trump, it's because they're frustrated and they're frustrated right. for that. She, you know, she, so, and she really tries to avoid making uh, the personal attacks on the president. That said, you know, there's some other Democrats in Missouri who are going to make that tougher. I mean, we've seen the controversy right. over uh, a state senator Chappelle Nadal's uh, social media posts about the president, and you better believe that uh, Republicans are going to try to tie issue. Claire right. McCaskill and, uh, and, to that. And, and Brian, I think the the uh, McCaskill race will be a fascinating study in this sort of strategy. Right. But let's look at it more broadly. Because I think Missouri is the perfect test case for why Democrats are struggling in the Midwest. 20 years ago, uh, Democrats were more than competitive in the state of Missouri. 
Ike Skelton was in office. In fact, I think we're just past the anniversary of the death of Mel Carnahan, who was the governor. Uh, you know, he died in a plane crash. His widow beat, uh, went on to beat uh, uh, John Ashcroft in the Senate race that year in 2000. But the March of Missouri from at least a bellwether 50-50 state to a reliably red state is just obvious and transcends, I think, McCaskill, Claire McCaskill, or even Jay Nixon. Veto-proof Republican majorities in both houses of the state legislature, virtually every statewide office except for the auditor, as you just suggested. Which, remember, and, is appointed, not right. elected. I mean, she is an elected she was office, appointed, yeah. but she was appointed to right. replace a Republican. Right, right. Uh, and, of course, Senator McCaskill. So the national trend, uh, irregardless of what arguments Claire McCaskill makes or whatever, it has resonated dramatically in Missouri away from this sort of practical democratic approach to a much more cultural, fundamental, uh, you know, we're much more like Mississippi today than we are like Minnesota. And that's very clear over the last 15 years. And it's not clear what the Democrats can do to stop that, Well, whether yeah. Claire's in a race or not. You know, it, it's kind of... I know. I know. Steve Bannon has made some comments. Yes, yeah, Steve Bannon, who is waiting into Missouri right, politics. Right. The Republicans have their own problems. Right. Which we'll but deal no, no. With but hear, hear me out on this. He's made some comments that he wants the discussion to stay on issues like race, to stay on yes. issues like culture. Uh, you see him guns. You gay see rights, him wading the into list. the Missouri uh, Senate race a bit, and you know. Your, your intuition as a big city reporter uh, would be that uh, when Josh Hawley is uh, cozying up to Steve Bannon, that maybe that's who the Democrats will seize on. But like, look, this is a sign Josh Hawley is too extreme. No. The opposite is true. They're, they're pointing out his links to Mitch McConnell. They are pointing out his links to establishment Republicans. They are, they are I mean, the Missouri Democratic Party is sending out constantly clips from right-wing right. talk radio criticizing right. Josh Hawley. So they there seems to be um, there seems to be this awareness in Missouri that if Democrats uh, go into battle in the culture war, they're probably not going to win. Right, they don't have an answer. I mean, that's true in Iowa. The New York Times just did a story on how Iowa is leaning red now and of course Kansas, Nebraska. I mean, the, 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 the interesting dynamic to me is not so much the change itself over the last 20 years, but the Democrats have had no answer. That's why They've had no yeah. candidates that can answer and no real answering argument. That's why I think Kansas is actually uh, is going to be our best testing ground, actually. because More than Missouri, yeah, in a even way. Even more than Missouri, because um, Chris Kobach is the probably the Republican frontrunner right now. And if you want to talk about someone who's a culture warrior, I mean, Kobach he has that tattooed on his right, forehead, right. culture warrior. Uh, and he's unpopular with a lot of moderate Republicans. Uh, but if he gets in, if he gets into the race and you have, uh, you know, a Democratic candidate, will those moderate Republicans, uh, will those independent, those kind of not quite conservative, but certainly not liberal independents, uh, will they go with the right. Democrat, right. or will they say, well, I guess I'll stick with Kobach right. because of this? Another way of saying that is w the 2018 governor's race may be a, a decision be between sort of an issue-oriented, do we want a third brownback term, what about tax cuts, what about schools, versus a race that becomes nationalized in which you have a Republican and a Democrat, and people say, 
I just broadly agree with the Republican approach to the world, and therefore I will support right. the Republican. We make it about or the Democrat. We make it about the NFL. Well, or, right, right, you know. right. But the Democrats have really, in the I think, in the central part of the country, haven't really decoded that that issue. Whether because if Jim Ward came here today and said, you know what, I've changed my mind on abortion and gay rights, and I'm now which is not going to do, by the way. not going to do, but a Jim Ward-like figure. Would people see that as sincere, or would they? I mean, the, Claire's already got that problem in Missouri, where people think that maybe it's not as sincere. As you know, she I think that that I, I will. I will say, and authenticity, as we all learned in 2016, is a is high on the hierarchy of. I America. will actually say, in following uh, state level, like legislative races in Kansas, the candidates who own the fact that they are Democrats actually do better than the ones who try to run away from the fact right. that they're Democrats. A lot of the ones who... who That's who, the central dilemma. You know, and so, I, I, mean, I mean, there is an argument that just kind of embrace who you are, be honest who you are, talk passionately and clearly to voters with a real message. Um, and I, I, certainly in the 2016 legislative races, uh, the people who really were strong on issues like Medicaid expansion yes. and tax fairness... Those were the Democratic candidates who won, where the Democrats gained uh, seats in the House yeah. and Senate. Uh, the ones who kind of ran away from it and tried to just say, I'm not that guy, I'm not the Republican incumbent you don't like, those were the ones who came up short. Right, so it's right. say it's a and maybe so maybe science. the answer for the right, of course, and maybe the answer for the Democrats in the center part of the country is, you understand the McCaskill approach, and you try to be as uh, middle of the road as you can on cultural things. But at the end of the day, you have to make a positive argument for right. why your approach is better, and not just sort of say, let it become a national, foggy uh, right. issue, I, you know, red versus I blue, kneeling on good, Sundays. That's, type that's of good race. advice, whether you're talking about a school yeah. board election or whether you're talking about an election for president of the United States. You need to make an affirmative case, not... Don't vote for the other guy, but you need to make the argument right. of and, and, vote for me because. Right. And as, and as a final question, don't you get the sense that one of the problems for Democrats in the center part of the country is they they try to whisper that, you know, right. because they don't want to offend anybody. They think the best way is to go into the corner, by the way, I'm for single payer, and then come back and and be this cultural whatever, and they lose. Right. They lose over and over and over. They suffer from an abundance of Midwestern politeness. Yes. Yeah, they, correct. All right, Brian Lowry, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed today's uh, podcast. We'll be back next week. I think next week we're going to talk about the airport and where that's going. So, again, Oh, is there news about the airport yeah, in there, Kansas there City? May be, there may be a vote here in the next couple of weeks on that very issue. Brian, again, thanks. Thanks to Howard Dean, who chatted with us on Facebook Live, and Melinda Hindenberger of the Stars Editorial Board for joining us on today's podcast. You have been on Deep Background. 